0: Hi, my name is Alan. I'm a business designer and welcome to the Beyond Users podcast, where we learn about business to become better designers. In the 36th episode, I spoke with Jason Barron. So, Jason is a designer who decided to take an MBA. He actually attended one of the 40 top business schools, the Bryden uh, Young University. And while he was there, he was taking uh, visual notes, also called sketch notes of all the business courses that he attended. So at the end he decided to publish this in a book. Uh, so he's an author of The Visual MBA, which is a really great book explaining all the relevant business cool concepts and frameworks through illustrations. So it's a perfect book for all designers who wanna grasp some basic business concepts in a language that we designers are really well versed in, which are the images and the illustrations. So definitely check out the book. And in this podcast, we talked about the decision uh, for writing this book, you know, why did he decide to write a book and what was the initial spark that got the whole thing going. We also talked about his, um, not favorite, but maybe most useful uh, business courses that he attended in the MBA and what he didn't maybe find that helpful. So on one side, what he found helpful and on the other side, what wasn't that helpful for him as a designer. And we also talked about his recommendations. So if he recommends to other designers to take an MBA or not. Just one more thing before diving into the episode. If you want to learn more about business, um, you can visit my website beyondusers.com. And there you can take a five-day email course, which I put together. It's called Mini MBA for Designers. And in these emails I present five business concepts that are relevant for designers and that I've also used in my design process. So that's available on beyondusers.com. And now without further ado, here is a conversation with Jason. Cool. Uh, Jason, let's jump straight into the topic. One thing that I'm really curious um, when I heard about your story is, you know, why did you decide to take an MBA? What was the, the reason?
1: Alan, it's a great question, and thank you for having me on your podcast. So, really, des- design is about crafting a solution to a problem or opportunity for people, and good business solves a problem, and, and the elegance and the elegance and effectiveness of that solution are all about design. And so, as a designer, I loved coming up with ways to improve uh, people's lives by by providing value in in one cheaper form. So you know really i've 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 always loved art and design and i've i've always loved business too even since i was i was, I was a kid i would go and mow people's lawns for money and i've always just had this interest in in, uh, in business and so since that time i've been involved in a couple startups and i've just been fascinated by this close link between business and design And there's not a lot of uh, designers who are also focused on business as well. Uh, And, and I think it's, it's a missed opportunity. I think there's a, a, you know, designers by their trade are very much thinking about how to provide value to people. Mm -hmm. And that's what business is all about, but it's, it's changing it so that way you're making money off of that by providing that value. So for me, I was just very interested in how I could improve my understanding of business so that way I could become a better designer and and hopefully uh, improve my decision making in the process and so that that's been a journey that uh, has been really exciting for me and I've been really grateful for the business principles that I've learned and having that design background has provided a whole different perspective on your traditional business and how business uh, operations work.
0: Mm. So would you say, was it the fascination with business that led you to MBA or was it more the feeling that you're lacking certain knowledge?
1: I think it was a little bit of both. There were some key things that I was lacking. I, I wasn't super experienced in the financials, the financial side of business about, your, you know, your, 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 ter- your typical financial um, tracking and and how that whole world works with, you know, your balance sheets and your income statements and so forth. And so, it really was a, it was the idea of just being curious and fascinated by that, but also knowing if I was going to do my own startup or in the startups that I've been in, that there obviously is some knowledge lacking and. Uh, I just wanted to fill that gap. So it really was the balance between those two, that fascination and the gap. And, and for me, by getting my MBA, it, it it closed the gap and it also helped satisfy that uh, fascination that I had. And I, I I walked away with some great knowledge.
0: So take us back to the time when you were um, part of the MBA program. How did that look like? Because I, I know a lot of uh, designers who are thinking of taking an MBA. So I guess painting the picture of how this looks like might help them also make a decision
1: yeah you know what as a designer I felt a little bit like a fish out of water when I was getting my MBA <laughs> uh, so you, you had you had people that were focused on operations or finance uh, or sales and so I believe from what I recall I was one of the only designers I actually think there was maybe two other designers in, in the group
0: how big was the group
1: it was about 70 people okay. in our cohort. So we were together for the, the two years, that that, 70, uh, that group of 70. And, uh, and so I felt a little bit of a, uh, as a fish out of water, but seeing that there were a couple of other designers there and having since talked with some designers, and I have a good friend of mine who's a designer that's in an MBA right now, it, it, uh, it, it helps me see that we're not the only ones. And so for your listeners who may be considering an MBA, who are designers, I would say, go for it. Um, I, there's, there's a lot of knowledge that can be gained that will help you in your craft as a designer, which we can talk a little bit about today. And there's, there's a lot of value that you can gain in, in going through and gaining that education to, to have knowledge that will help benefit you as you're making decisions as a designer.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned um, the specific things that you learn, and what are the benefits that you got out of it? What would you say was the most beneficial to you and to your design process?
1: You know, you had mentioned Alan that you work for IDEO, and in part of that process uh, with with IDEOs, they have you know first you empathize with people, mm-hmm. and you define what problem that they're running into, and then you ideate. Ideas, and then you prototype those ideas, and then you test them. And that was, yeah, and that was something that was really reinforced in the MBA. Um, I would say there's there was quite a few pieces to that beyond those principles that were taught by IDO. Um, you know, looking for something, a product or a business that balances the fact that it solves some kind of pain for people that it's feasible in the market and also, you know, it's feasible to create and that it's elegant. Um, A lot of times we just think about, Hey, I have an idea that I want to put out there in the market, but being able to kind of run it through some of these frameworks and some of these filters like, like that, where you're saying, what problem does this solve? Is it feasible? And is it elegant? Um, That's been really helpful. Also the idea of measuring, I think as designers, we're, we're inherently creative, so we're on that the right side of the brain. But being able to balance uh, the right side of the brain with the left side of the brain when you're thinking about some of the kind of the, the quantitative or, or logical things and decisions that you need to make. So we spend a lot of time as designers on the right side, but learning how to balance that is a, a huge benefit as well. So that we are thinking about what are your measures and your goals, those signals and metrics that you're thinking about as you're creating value for people. Uh, also, just how you get adoption for your product and design. So, you know, does it have superior benefits? I talk about in the book, sort of this adoption scale. So, you know, how is the pricing? Um, does it have superior benefits? As I had mentioned, is it easy to use? Is it easy to purchase? So a lot of these things that really influence how you would design a product are were taught in business school and I have them in the book as well. And and so really these, these different frameworks and ways of thinking about a problem. So that way you're not spending your time in something that really just doesn't matter much. Uh, a lot of times we can get lost in the weeds uh, with, with details rather than kind of pulling back and thinking about, well, is this actually solving a problem? Hmm. And, and, it may be solving a problem, but is it feasible? I mean, maybe this is way too complex. Um, uh, or maybe it's feasible and it solves a problem, but is it elegant? And we know that really with design, design can be a competitive advantage for companies as they think about their products. And so um, very much uh, some huge learnings there that have benefited me as a designer. And uh, and so, um, you know, overall, the those learnings have been super beneficial.
0: If we could teach our listeners one framework, so you talked a lot about the feasibility, you know, how to add the feasibility aspect to the durability that we designers are so good at. Um, so if we can give our listeners one framework for either measuring or for anything that you find very helpful in your design process. So a framework that you learned in the DMBA and that you also talk about in the book, which one would you recommend and maybe now talk about and kind of describe how we can use it.
1: You know Alan, I I think the one that is most comprehensive that will help people immediately, uh, you know, those who are listening to this right now could use this today in their companies and their ideas really is that that framework I had mentioned through through ideo which is you know, starting with empathy, um defining the problem, ideating, prototyping and testing. So an example is, and and you could certainly talk to this maybe even better than I can for sure uh, but really you know you, you you go and and if you're hearing about an issue that's happening um, you know maybe it's uh, that you know there's there's in your local city there are issues that are um, that people are running into um, be it uh, politically or um, maybe there it's, it's a operational issue or people are frustrated by one thing or another and actually going and visiting with those people and talking with them and watching how they operate and watching in the context of their, their job or the context of their environment. Uh, what, what is, what does that look like for them? And, mm-hmm. and really putting yourself in their shoes so that way you can feel how they feel. And based on that, the, the problem starts to become clear and you're able to, to take that and, and, and really define it. I, I think about kind of on that empathy factor. I don't know if you're listeners or you have been to Disneyland or Disney World. Um, with, when Walt Disney was creating Disneyland, uh, what he did was he walked around Disneyland and he would get down on one knee. So that way he could see what, what uh, Disneyland would look like from the view of a child. And it was all about empathizing with his audience to then understand what, what is missing and what, what problem exists there. And so really empathizing, putting yourself in their shoes. And then from there, the, as I mentioned, that problem becomes clear and you're able to really succinctly define the problem. So once you've defined that problem, then you're able to come up with a lot of ideas. And I talk about in the book about convergence versus divergence. So in the ideation phase, which is the third step, so there's empathize, define, now we're in ideate. When you're in that phase, you're, it's, you're doing what's called divergence. And so you're, you're coming up with all kinds of ideas on how you might solve that problem. And, you, you know, the world's the limit. You're not thinking, you're not, criti- you're, not, you're not critiquing the ideas that you're having. You're not thinking about why they won't work. What you're doing is you're just coming up with a lot of different ideas. And so you go to a whiteboard or get sticky notes and just write down a ton of different ideas, get a group of people, you know, five to eight people, and, and just, just come up, brainstorm with a lot of different ideas and, and, and diverge. And then really, what, after you do your divergence, then you put on your your critical hat, which is that you think about okay. Now that we have all of these ideas, it's really important not to try and critique it in the ideation pro- like in the in the divergence process. But once you've come up with a bunch of ideas, then you kind of converge, and so you start thinking um, critically about okay, well, what will work, what won't work, and what what can we do to um, you know uh, what 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 is feasible and what is not until you come down to you know, a couple ideas. Uh, and then from there, you prototype that idea. And, you know, you, you this can be really rough. It can be something where it's just, you know, paper and, you know, you're cutting out pieces of paper and, mm-hmm. and laying them out for somebody. And then you test that and and have people actually go through and use it. And then you, you gain some key learnings that help you really go through that cycle again. And so, again, that, that one framework, I would say, is tremendously valuable for people to to solve big problems. Um, again, to repeat, empathize, define, ideate, prototype, and test. That's a mm. fantastic, fantastic framework.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've used it myself a lot of the times. What I found out is also that the final step seems to be tricky for a lot of designers, the testing part. Um, not in actually doing the tests, but in actually... Then estimating the results, if you know what I mean, so I'm curious like if you have any tips for us, how would you or maybe even an example of the project you've done, and then how did you estimate the the test? you know once you actually have a prototype, you put it out there, How do you know if it has gone a certain way or the other way? you know what should you do after that?
1: That's a great question um, so so a couple thoughts on that. So in the book, I talk about um, different different sort of ways to critique something. So um, once you once you've shown your prototype to people and you're testing it, there's a couple ways you can evaluate the success of that. One is what friction do they run into, or do they run into friction at all? But what what points do they run into friction? So immediately you can see, okay, they they actually didn't understand this one part, or they were they, they miss this one step or something. So what, what's kind of keeping them from being successful in a, in, in using this product that you have. And then, you know, f- f- from there, once you've kind of resolved the friction, I talk about um, six thinking hats and I talk about how, you know, you can, you can ask them on a scale of one to 10, whether or not they would purchase it. Um, you can ask them what, you know, what are the perceived benefits that they have what are the shortcomings that they see with this product? What ideas do they have on improving it? Um, And then kind of summarizing, you know, what those, what those learnings are. That's a really good way to kind of vet uh, the idea as you're testing it. I'll give you an example, actually for the, actually with the book. So when I created this book initially, I, I, I actually took this process where I created a prototype. I, I, had my sketch notes that I took from class and on paper, I printed them out on a computer and uh, and then had them on on printer paper. I took a glue stick, glued the pages together, and I had one chapter glued together with the cover of the book as a prototype. I mean, this is just really rough and, and, and it didn't have to be pretty, but it, it, it felt like a sort of the semblance of the book. And I was looking for people to give me ideas and tell me what was wrong with it or what could be improved or what perceived benefits that they had, as I talked about with those six thinking hats. And so I, I took that around the class to different classmates and I said, hey, take a look at this. What are your thoughts? And and I gained a ton of learnings, uh, uh, an amazing amount of learnings that I was able to then go back, refine my prototype um, based on their... Based on their feedback refine that and then reprint it again based on their feedback glue it all together again <laughs> so I know they had I had sort of a, a, a version two of my prototype and then did the same exact process where I walked around and showed people and got their feedback and and for me it's just this constant you you're gaining insights and you're seeing hey there's an interest here if there's an interest then it's worth it's worth pursuing and I think that's the biggest thing is making sure that you're asking people who will be honest with you about whether or not they would actually buy this thing. And that's, you know, that's a good way to do it too, where, you know, you're, you're first, you're showing it to them. And if it's someone, you know, most likely they're going to say, Oh, that's cool. But when you ask them, you know, maybe you don't even ask them if you would buy it, you ask them how much would they pay? That can be a really good indicator whether or not they would even buy this thing that you have. And so, um, you know, when I, when I went through that process with the book and I got feedback from people, I got so much good feedback that if I hadn't have done that, if I would have just printed the book, I I would guarantee that the book wouldn't be as successful as it has been. And because I went through that actual process and prototyped and tested, um, now I have a much more valuable product that has, has, um, gone around the world.
0: Yeah, that's a really cool approach. I'm just curious, like, can you share one thing that you learned in that feedback from your colleagues? And then how does that um, trickle down into the book now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting when I did the first initial, so when I was doing my sketch notes, I I was, I was drawing what the, you know, these concepts that the teachers and professors were talking about, and I was breaking these complex ideas down and and you know when i did that first prototype i showed my classmates and for the readers who have the book you know you'll you'll notice that there are these illustrations and then there's some explanations well on the original version i just had illustrations with some with some minor notes and things kind of pointing to things and and they said you know what as as a reader you know, I, I, appreciate the illustrations of what you have, but it would be really helpful having some explanations yeah. about what, what you're actually talking about here. Cause the illustrations aren't quite enough. And that became the backbone of having the explanations. And so, you know, now really the, the, a big bulk of the book in addition to the illustrations is the explanations. And initially in that first prototype, I didn't have that. And, and so much would have been lost with people in actually understanding what's being taught. If I would have just gone with that first version, which just had the illustrations with some minor notes. But now that I have the illustrations coupled with those that additional information, it's it's really put it together in a, a way that people understand really clearly.
0: That's a really cool example because it's one of those things that when you look at a final product, it kind of just feels obvious that there is text and sketches. But I guess when you are actually designing the thing, then there's so many decisions that you're not even asking yourself like yeah my first idea was just to have uh sketches right if it's the visual mba book then it's just sketches so cool cool um i guess since now we talked about the book already a lot like maybe let's also go step by step and talk about the process so first of all i'm interested in how did you even get the idea for the book
1: I was interested to the. I was introduced to the idea of sketch noting, which essentially is you know you're, you're you draw the concepts that you're hearing, and it helps you with retention, and it helps you with recall later, and and it's it helps uh, basically provide a quick reference for people as they're you know going back to their notes. And someone had introduced that to me several years ago, and there's a book by Mike Rode who wrote this book called the sketch note handbook and i bought that book and 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 really looked at this idea of sketch noting and i started doing that at conferences i would sketch note and draw the concepts and i was surprised at uh, the effect effectiveness of that approach and really helping me recall information where in the past i'm sure you're familiar and and you know like all of us you know you sometimes when you're taking notes you're just taking linear notes and Either you do, you never go back and read them, or or uh, they're you know they're just not as effective. But with sketch noting, I saw that it was just way more effective for actually capturing the ideas and helping me recall them later. So I, I I knew about that concept. I knew it was a fairly new concept, and I knew it was pretty unique. And I had this thought at the beginning of my program that I wanted to sketch note it. And I also thought, you know what, there's probably no one that's crazy enough to actually go through and sketch out their entire two-year MBA program. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna give that a shot and see. And, and uh, you know at the very at the very beginning, I didn't necessarily think I would put it in a book. I mean I, I had some ideas and maybe like kind of fleeting, like, hey, maybe I could do that, but it wasn't anything I was necessarily had a hard plan on. But as I I went through class, I was just as the professor was talking, I was drawing what they were talking about and breaking down the concepts and and helping uh, clearly uh, clearly define those in in as I was sketching. And as I went through that process, some of my classmates would lean over and be like, "Hey, that is really cool! Like, what are you doing?" And so I would explain it, and they and they would say, "Hey." if you put those in a book, I will buy it at the end of the year. And so, um, that's where really kind of the, the idea kind of got some traction and, and I, I just had that, I, you know, the idea to just continue with that. And so, um, near the end of the program, uh, I, I, you know, I'd mentioned already that kind of that prototyping and testing that was sort of midway through the program to help me refine my process. And then at the end of the program, I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, put this together in a book. I I called a publisher and asked how much it would cost to, to print maybe 200 copies or so. Um, I I thought, Hey, maybe I could sell this to my class and maybe the previous class uh, and, and that, uh, you know, was in the program that graduated the previous year. Maybe I could sell it to them and maybe the, the class that's next year. And the publisher or the printer said, Hey, if you, if you actually do a Kickstarter, you could you could really know how many copies to print, um, and and it, it'll actually be less expensive uh, rather than trying to do a smaller number and then kind of grow that from there. You know right away, and so that's where that idea to do a Kickstarter came from. So I did a Kickstarter campaign. I set it for twenty eight days, and uh, you know, I set the goal for seven thousand dollars. And then, after just a few short days, it had already reached the goal. And then, by the end of the twenty-eight days, it had raised over a thousand percent. So it had, it had raised over seventy thousand dollars from forty countries around the world. And so that's where um, I saw that there was a, a keen interest in this overall idea. and And since then, um, the, the publisher has picked it up and and has uh, has printed it globally. And and so I've just been really really happy with the overall process and and that this book is providing value for people all over the world and helping them understand and learn business concepts in a way that has never been presented that way before and it's much more approachable and and helps people get up to speed a lot faster so it's been a really crazy wild journey where i've just kind of been going along and adapting and adjusting as i go just like we do as designers <laughs> and trying to find value you know trying to provide value for people yeah
0: yeah no, it's a it's a really cool book, even for those who already have some business knowledge. For me, it was really a nice way to uh, get reminded of a few things or maybe even see how I can explain a few things better, right? Because I think you learn the most when you try to also teach somebody or explain something. I guess even in this process, you learn a lot of these business concepts even better. And just by seeing them sketched, you kind of, I at least got a better idea of how I can talk about something because a lot of these business books are really dry. A lot of jargon and they it becomes like really really hard to get through, but
1: exactly yeah.
0: One thing you mentioned the Kickstarter, so I want to uh, touch upon the Kickstarter a little bit. Um, you know, like having just a seven thousand dollar goal and then achieving or raising seven to three thousand dollars that's a really really good result. So I'm just curious, like how did you do your marketing for the Kickstarter campaign? Was that completely organic or did you put any strategy behind?
1: So basically with Kickstarter, what you need to do is uh, you, you put together your campaign. And one of the ways that you can get a lot of visibility is by getting on their projects we love category. So basically what Kickstarter does is it curates the site, looks for promising Project projects that are, are on Kickstarter and then it kind of helps promote them. And the way you have to do that is you have to get a lot of buzz going for your, your project on Kickstarter for them to kind of promote it. So essentially what I did was, you know, I had a plan to reach out to some, some influencers in this space, Mike road being one of those and ask them to kind of, sh- to share it on Twitter and some other social channels and so that that was really the extent of the marketing plan. So what I, I did was I I uh, once I launched it. Well, actually, let me step back just a second. One of the things that I did and actually talk about in the book is the need when you're doing marketing to have a positive personal connection with people. And so what I did with my marketing was I created a video that was of my two kids and them. It was them talking about the book, and they were talking about how their dad doodles during class and you're not supposed to doodle during class, you know, and, and it was just, this fun. Um, th- this fun thing about my kids, you know, trying to, trying to be, you know, that are more mature than their dad. And they're, you know, talking about this idea and it was just a really fun, cute, uh, approach to, sh- to talking about the book. Mm-hmm. So, um, once I launched the Kickstarter, I asked Mike road and a couple other social influencers to, to talk about it. And, and I also shared it on my social channels and people saw my kids on there and they just thought it was really cute and adorable. And so they would share it. And so really it, it helped generate a lot of buzz um, really, really quickly. I think within the first 24 hours, Kickstarter added it to their projects. We love uh, category. And that's what really did uh, was a really big deal um, because Kickstarter is essentially promoting that, project to thousands of their visitors and and that's really what helped create the snowball of awareness that really really made the project successful
0: oh got it cool and did i understand correctly that you first self-published the book and then you got a publisher or was it uh you got a publisher right after the kickstarter campaign
1: you you know what i i first self-published it so i i I, you know once i finished the kickstarter then I, I put in the order with a printer and I had a printer print out all of those copies of the book, both hardcover and softcover. So I did that all on my own and then uh, individually shipped the books all over the world, and which was a huge task. I mean, we had, we had tons of boxes of books and just Books everywhere, and we were just shipping books nonstop because I want to make sure that we were keeping our commitment to our backers and and getting to them, uh, getting the book to them on time. And so it was just insane. But yeah, that was initially it was self publishing that, and that's when the, you know that publisher had had a, a really keen interest in the book and the idea, and so that's when they picked it up and and um, did some tweaks, and then we we had that published internationally, um, starting in April of this year. So, um, initially to answer your question, yes, self-published initially, and then going through a publisher after that. And for me, it was really worth going through a publisher because the packing and shipping and distribution and uh, printing and everything involved in the process for, for a book was, was a massive undertaking and it was a lot of work. And so having a publisher do the distribution and everything for me has been, uh, a really good decision.
0: Yeah, yeah. And ha- had the content also changed? I'm just kind of asking, like you, once you have an editor and they start maybe also looking at the content, did you also then move things around and change the content itself or was it mostly just the, the back end that changed of the business?
1: You know what? It was, it, there were some just minor changes, just some minor tweaks and changes, some some grammatical things that were updated, uh, but there were no significant uh changes throughout the book it really what what is published today is really close to what the original was
0: okay cool so you did a good job the first time around <laughs> well I,
1: don't, I did i i i did a sufficient job um so so <laughs> it was it was uh it was nice to have that a professional editor go through and 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 really with a fine tooth comb and, and go through and make some tweaks. And so I feel really good about this final version that's published now.
0: Mm. Out of all of those things that MBAs cover, you know, they cover everything from accounting, macroeconomics down to marketing, etc. What did you find the most helpful as a designer and what was maybe felt kind of not that helpful or like a baggage?
1: Yeah. I would say as a designer, it was really helpful uh, in the classes about decision making, about financials. I'd mentioned with designers, you know, intuition is really important with design, but sometimes we can rely too much on just intuition. And so, balancing intuition with observation and data will help you be a more powerful designer. And so, for me, the classes that we're talking about data, observation, um, better judgment decision-making analyzing a problem from multiple angles and looking at alternatives and then narrowing down to a final solution to me that was super helpful the the classes that were talking, like the financial reporting class was really helpful because finances in the past just weren't something i was super interested in or even cared about and and so going in that class it was really helpful because as a business owner doing a startup or anything you have to be keeping an eye on your finances. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to create a, a, a life-changing product. And so that was that was super helpful. I would say some of the things that... But what, I guess one key area that I felt like wasn't necessarily helpful for me specifically was in one of the finance classes when it was talking about um, um, depreciating assets uh, for, you know, yeah. and how you calculate the... De- depreciation of your equipment for, you know, your, your business, to me, that was not super useful. I'm sure it's useful to, to many people that have a business that has a lot of equipment and things. But for me, that just wasn't as valuable. Um, but, but I would say for sure, the vast majority of what I learned was super valuable for uh, my role as a designer. And, 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 uh, it was, it was definitely worth the time.
0: I notice also that in the book you use the example of the lemonade stand a lot. Um, is that something that also you used, or the professors used in the MBA, or was it just you trying to uh, present the book or the concepts in a way that are easier to understand?
1: That's a great question. That was actually that was actually me doing that, and because you had the you had the professors that were talking about these complex ideas. And I felt like to make this much more approachable, the same ideas could be shared in a simplified way. And I'm a I'm a big believer in simplification. And so anything we can do to simplify concepts to be more understandable, I think it's a really good thing. And so for me, it was a it was a deliberate effort to take these complicated and complex ideas and just make them simple. And you know, if rather than talking about the operations of a multi-million dollar company and all the complexities that come with that. I talked about operations of a lemonade stand, you know, and how you, how you prepare lemonade and you, you know, your materials of sugar and your materials of lemons. And, and it was just, it was just that the, the way I felt like it would be much uh, easier and better to consume for people. So that way they still walked away with the same understanding, but they didn't have to process and think through all the complexities of, of, you know, other examples. So that was, again, that was a deliberate effort, you know, to to break those concepts and those complicated ideas down. So that way they were, they were easier to understand.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that was a great decision because um, in general, like when we are learning, we are looking for these fundamentals and breaking this down to the most basic example is how we usually learn the fundamentals and the more complex cases then come after that. And if we try to jump straight into complicated cases, then many people don't even get the fundamentals. So I think that was a great decision for the book. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. Jason, um, just as a final question, maybe where can listeners find more about you and about the book?
1: It's a great question. So uh, on the book is available in, in bookstores around the world. And, uh, you can get it on amazon.com. Also, if I, I'm going to be publishing some sketch notes and ideas on Instagram. So if you want to get in touch, please reach out on Instagram. It's at visual MBA. So that's probably the best place to reach me and, and follow what's going on. Also, um, JasonBaron.com. that's B A R R O N.com. I'll have some updates there, but Really, the best way and in, in the main social channel that I'm using for Visual MBA work is is at Visual MBA through Instagram, and uh, and and again, I would love any feedback from any listeners. You know, what what could I do better? What thoughts do you have? And ideas, or what business problems are you going through? And we can talk through different ideas together. Um, I, I love I love the design community. I love how. Uh, it really is a brother and sisterhood and uh, we're all kind of in this together as we, as we work through to solve, uh, you know, as we solve problems that people are facing around the world and uh, it's just a really exciting space to be in. And so please feel free to reach out again on, at, at visual MBA um, on Instagram and and I'd love to continue the conversation. And Alan, this has been a, a true pleasure. I appreciate you having me on your show and, and um, it, it, I look forward to learning from you as time goes.
0: Thank you, Jason. Thank you definitely uh, for taking the time and also for putting together the book. So putting in the hours and the stamina to put together this, I think, very, very useful book. Yeah, thank you too.
1: All right, awesome. Thank you. We'll see ya.